On this week's episode of Ride the Lightning, the Tesla unofficial podcast, it's my favorite episode to do every quarter, the earnings call analysis. I've got highlights and my insights on everything that was said by Elon and the rest of the Tesla executive team during the Q1 conference call. Buckle up. Welcome, friends. I'm Ryan McCaffrey. This is episode number 144 of Ride the Lightning, the Tesla unofficial podcast for May 6th, 2018. I am flanked, as always, by the chilled-out Daisy the Boxer Puppy, and I don't want to waste any time. There is a lot to get to this week. It was a pretty crazy conference call for the Q1 earnings uh, that Elon Musk and the Tesla executive team opened up to investors, analysts, and even a... uh, it was referred to as a YouTuber, but I guess he does have a, a YouTube thing, but he represents a, uh, a group of retail stockholders, uh, and he, he got some, uh, some good time with Elon Musk on the call. But before I get to that, I wanted to just open with one quick tip before I forget. So a friend of mine at work, Todd, took delivery of his beautiful Model 3 this week, the first one in our building. Uh, we've got a tour of three Model S's uh, down there at all times, but first Model 3 goes Todd's way, uh, looks gorgeous, the fit and finish looked phenomenal. Uh, I, I, myself and another co-worker and Todd all walked around it and were, were kind of talking about that topic, like, man, no, this car looks great. So uh, anyway, he found out an interesting thing because he lives in the North Bay. And long story short, this is kind of a, a Bay Area specific pro tip, but it could potentially apply to your area as well. So when you take delivery of your Model 3, and I presume this applies to Model S and Model X as well, you might want to go in and disable the option uh, in in the navigation settings that defaults to routing you through areas with no tolls, where the, the, you know, in other words, turn off the avoid tolls thing because he showed me the screenshot. He was trying to get home from uh, from just like near Oakland, basically. I know this this is the geography here is not going to, uh, you're not going to be able to picture this if you don't live here probably. But anyway, basically it wanted to route him about a hundred miles all the way down the East Bay and around San Jose and back up to the North Bay just to avoid the bridges that, that span across uh the San Francisco Bay to get him home. So just a pro tip, maybe a little life hack for you uh, upcoming new Model 3 owners, uh, particularly those Bay Area folks. Check that toll setting. It might not be, I'm sure in most areas it works great, uh, but in in the Bay Area, it might not be quite the way you want to go. With that, let's move on to the big story of the week. As always, it's the Tesla quarterly sales call, shareholders, analysts, etc., taking place, uh, taking part in the call, pardon me, and there's this is going to take a, a lot of time. This is going to be probably a long show. I've got 20 clips from this call. I've, I've As usual, I, I want to boil it down for you, give you the best stuff, play it for you, react to it, give some analysis, cut out the fluff. Uh, although fluff or bot, you will hear that is not fluff. That is actual content this week. That will make sense very soon if you did not already listen to the conference call. 
so the Ride the Lightning hotline, I've been getting all your calls all week, of course, I've been going through them, and I encourage you to please continue sending them, but I'm not going to do them this week, because this is already going to be uh, well over an hour show, I'm, I'm quite, quite sure. So I've got those banked, ready to go for next week's show, and keep your calls coming. I suspect a number of you are going to want to react to this. Uh, there is a lot that was said. There's uh, uh, there's plenty to talk about with the earnings call. So do keep your calls coming on the Ride the Lightning hotline. Uh, you can either just record a question on your smartphone, try to keep it to a minute, minute and a half tops, and email that file to me at teslapodcast at gmail.com. Alternatively, you can use the toll-free Ride the Lightning hotline. You're just calling in and leaving a message. It's that simple. And that number is one 989 8752. That's 1 TSLA. So we'll get to that next week. And here we go on to the conference call. First, the shareholder letter that, that accompanies that. I want to just go, go through that real quick. So Tesla writing prior to a planned shutdown in mid April to further increase production, we produced more than 2,000 Model 3 vehicles for three straight weeks and we hit 2270 in the last of those weeks. Even at this stage of the ramp, Model 3 is already on the cusp of becoming the best-selling mid-sized premium sedan in the U.S., and our deliveries continue to increase. So that is, uh, we're, so we're sitting at about 2300 a week, so just come on 3000 and then after that, come on 4000 and then the big one, come on 5000 So we'll see how long it takes. Elsewhere in the letter, quote, For months, the battery module line was our main production bottleneck. After deploying multiple semi-automated lines and improving our original lines, we have largely overcome this bottleneck. Consequently, we now expect to reach a module production rate of 5,000 car sets per week, but even before we install the new automated line designed and built by Tesla in Germany. That would be the Groman team. So, very glad to hear that that particular bottleneck is behind them. We'd heard about that on the last conference call and that the answer was uh, in, in development by Groman and being, being packed up and shipped out to Gigafactory. So that appears to have taken place and been successful. Good stuff there. Moving on in the shareholder letter, quote, we continue to target Model 3 production of approximately 5,000 per week in about two months. Although our prior experience has demonstrated the difficulty of accurately forecasting specific production rates at specific points in time because of the exponential nature of the ramp. In order to achieve this production rate, we plan to take additional days of downtime during Q2, just like we did in Q1. Now, some of those days have already occurred. That was the mid-April uh, one that, that was referenced there. But the 5,000 per week target then is indeed July, as Elon had tweeted out recently, though note that they do indeed leave themselves an out if they don't get there. Just saying, hey, things don't always go according to plan. All right, uh, next next bit here. Quote, after achieving a production rate of 5,000 per week, we will begin offering new options such as all-wheel drive and the base model with a standard size battery pack. Once we hit the 5,000 per week milestone, we intend to incorporate our learnings to continue to increase output on our existing manufacturing lines beyond 5,000 units per week, and then in a capital-efficient manner to add incremental capacity to ultimately get to a 10,000-unit weekly rate. So uh, the Elon tweet I mentioned a moment ago, they are making that tweet official there by saying dual-motor 
will be available once they hit 5,000 cars per week. Now, with the standard battery thing, I have to presume that the timeline previously laid, laid out still holds, uh, that it's still going to be late 2018 or uh, for, for a lot of folks, early 2019 on that. Um, you never know. They may have plans to try and move that up, but I don't think that they're, I don't think that's what they're saying here. Uh, I think, I think uh, as long as we have to still just go by the, del the delivery estimator for this uh, until we hear otherwise, but no mention of the performance model, uh, which, which is par for the course. We have yet to, Elon Musk on Twitter is the only person to ever make any reference to a performance model whatsoever. Uh, but then again, remember, technically, a performance model would be part of the all-wheel drive family, so fingers crossed that it is indeed coming alongside the dual motor. We'll see about that. A couple more quotes from the letter. Uh, the first one here, quote, Model 3 net reservations, including configured orders that had not yet been delivered, continued to exceed 450,000 at the end of Q1, even though fewer than 20 stores worldwide had Model 3 on display. We are planning to deploy significantly more Model 3 vehicles in our stores in Q2 this year. So I, I, I found the, the mention of uh, configured orders that had not yet been delivered as part of that. So I have to figure that if they're including configured cars that haven't been delivered yet, I wonder that if that figure must barely be over 450,000. Otherwise, why bother to mention? I mean, it's not a big deal. It's still a lot either way. Demand remains strong despite the delays. And the final excerpt I wanted to uh, read to you here from the shareholder letter is this, quote, We have good visibility of our path to fully ramp and stabilize Model 3 production this year. Model 3 is already the best-selling electric vehicle and, more importantly, on the cusp of becoming the best-selling premium sedan in the U.S. The path to an electrified revolution is not easy, but what we're trying to achieve is worth fighting for. Thanks for your continued support. And then it is signed, Elon and Deepak. So the, the bit about best-selling premium sedan, I have to presume that that includes the BMW 3 Series, as well as the Audi A4, and if so, that's very impressive. If they're about to take, if they're going to overtake the BMW 3 Series in the U.S. Now, obviously, the 3 Series, highly successful product line for BMW, and they sell a lot of cars worldwide, obviously a ton in Europe, uh, in, in the homeland. They're, they're a German company, so, you know, it's not like the, the 3 Series is dying by any stretch at all, but it's great to see that at least on on Tesla's home turf, and the only place that Tesla is delivering Model 3s so far here in North America, that they are looking like they're on the cusp of passing the BMW 3 Series in, uh, in monthly sales. All right, time for the call itself. Uh, buckle up here. I've got about 10 minutes of Elon Musk's opening remarks. You guys know I always like to play these for you because this is sort of his uh, state of the, the union for the quarter. Uh, and there there is a lot to chew on here. So again, 10 minute, just warning you up front, this is uh, Elon for 10 minutes. Here we go. So I think I think our letter says, uh, says most of it. Um, but I think we're gonna spend extra time on Q&A. I try to answer as many questions as possible. Um, I think we should be able to answer 
Okay, so we're going to go as long as, as, as there are good questions to answer. Um, the, thing I'm most, the thing I'm most excited about is the, uh, the rapid increase in output. Um, we've got, uh, just in the last uh, 24 hours at the Gigafactory, we managed to achieve a sustained rate of over 3,000 packs uh, per day, that's right, for a week. Um, and uh, actually reached a peak hour uh, with, if, if extrapolated outward, would be a rate of over 5,000 cars per week. Um, obviously, you cannot take a peak hour and assume every peak is every hour is as good as the peak. But it's so if you can if you can achieve it even once in an hour, then with continued refinement of the system and improved operational uptime of the, uh, of the machinery, uh, it, it's, it means that. You, you can achieve that sustained rate uh, with more with, yeah, with more refinement. So you spend spend essentially a month or two um, improving the operational uptime, and the, uh, the system as a whole will be able to uh, do over, you know well over five thousand, I think. And what I mean, what's interesting is that at least in the case of pack, pack production, we were able to do this with minimal um, capex, and I think I think in general our understanding of production is improving dramatically, exponentially, in fact, and uh, we are seeing ways to achieve improved volume uh, with uh, dramatically less capex uh, by, by by simplifying the production line, um, by really engaging all of our uh, associates, no matter how junior, in uh, improving. The, the way that, that uh, parts are made. Uh, it's amazing how everybody's got good ideas, just needs to solicit those ideas um, and implement them. Um, and, uh, and and then making ongoing design improvements so that when we discover that something is uh, <coughs> not well designed for manufacturing, that we would very quickly change that part design um, and, and uh, introduce that into the flow. Um, one of the things we've also found is that there's some things that are very well suited to uh, manual operation uh, and some things that are very well suited to automated operation, and the two should not be confused. Um, so um, I should be clear that the vast majority of the Tesla production system is automated. However, um, as I mentioned in a tweet uh, a few months ago, uh, we, we did go too far on the automation front and automated some pretty silly things. Um, one example would be uh, we had this, um, this was a sort of, sort of ironically uh, foolish. Uh, we, we had um, the, these fiberglass mats on the top of the battery pack. Uh, they're basically like fiber, like they're basically fluff. Um, so, uh, we try to automate the placement and bonding of fluff to the top of the battery pack, which is ridiculous. She, like, so, we had, so we had Flufferbot, um, which was really uh, an incredibly difficult machine to make work. Machines are not good at picking up pieces of fluff. <laughs> human hands are way better at doing that. Um, and uh, so, so we had a super complicated machine um, using a vision system to try to put a piece of fluff on, on the battery pack. Um, 
that same that, then I saw, one of the questions I asked was, do we actually need that? So we tested a call with and without, and found that there was no no change in the uh, the, the noise volume in the, in the cabin. So we actually had a part that was unnecessary um, that uh, was for which the line kept breaking down because Flufferbot would would frequently just <laughs> fail to pick up the fluff or put it in like a random location. Um, so, so that was um, that was one of the silliest things I found. Um, we were also, uh, and this, this is still remains to be fixed, but uh, in a lot of cases, but we were over over generalizing the design. Um, so, for example, the car battery pack has a, a port for the front drive unit, which we then put a, a blanking plate, a sealed blanking plate on. So essentially, we, we punch a hole in it, then put a blanking plate over the hole, um, and do that for all rear drive unit cars, which is kind of crazy. We've added cost, we've added a manufacturing step, better failure mode, um, and uh, for for something that is unnecessary. Um, so that 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 is that is you know that is something that's, that's an example of something that's uh, that's changed. So. Um, Anyway, the result is we've, we've had a radical improvement in production. Battery pack production went from taking seven hours to make a pack three weeks ago to um, under 70 minutes now. Um, so just show that's like really radical improvements are indeed possible. Um, we also saw an enormous improvement in zone four of module production. Uh, this I should point out is a, a fully automated uh, zone. And, um, and and we're able to also achieve a sustained rate of uh, 3,000 uh, vehicles a week. So we're actually slightly ahead in battery module and, and pack production than than expected. Um, the you know and, and with the, with some work at uh, the Fremont vehicle plant, um, primarily in the general assembly general assembly area, I'm confident we will very soon exceed the 3,000 mark uh, in Fremont. Um, so we're already there in the body shop, which is the which is also um, almost entirely automated, uh, where we weld up the, the body. Um, they were already capable of over 3,000 cars a week. Um, and, uh, and then in General Assembly, um, with some improvements, which will include uh, reduction, some uh, reduction at least I should say temporary reduction in automation um, in a few places, then uh, we should be over 3,000. So basically, I'm feeling really good about the Tesla production app Model 3. Um, and I'm very proud of the work that the team has done. It's been an tr- like, amazing amount of hard work and sacrifice uh, by some very talented people to achieve this outcome. It's um, worth noting the... Uh, you see a chart in the uh, Model 3 market share versus competitors in mid-size premium sedans. Um, we are almost the best-selling sedan in uh, the United States uh, in this category um, and um, as of April, and we will certainly be there in May. Um, and that's something really odd. I mean, no, be there in May and then, and then really be there later this year. Like third, in the third quarter, it will 
right? I think that, that there's a good chance Model Three gets cl- uh, maybe close to majority market share of mid-sized premium sedans. Forty percent, thirty to forty percent seems likely, and and maybe maybe a majority market share. Um, you know, later this year. Uh, this is coming from from a standing start against a lot of established brands who have far more uh, sales outlets than we do. So this is very encouraging. Um, okay. mm. Oh, and um, uh, yeah, as the letter says, um, I, I I'm feeling quite confident about achieving gap net income and positive cash flow in Q3. Um, this is not, you know, obviously a certainty, um, but uh, I, it, it does appear quite uh, quite likely in my view. Um, uh, we are going to conduct a, a, you know, sort of a, a reorganization, restructuring of the company in the next, uh, this month. Um, and uh, make sure we're well set up to achieve that goal. Um, and um, in, in particular, the, the number of sort of third-party contracting companies that, that we're using has really gotten out of control. So we're going to, yeah, scrub the barnacles on that, on that front. It's pretty crazy. We've got barnacles on barnacles. So uh, that's, there's going to be quite a lot of barnacle rem- removal. So to me, this is more or less just follow-up from that company-wide email that he sent out and, of course, leaked a couple weeks back that I covered here on the podcast. It's They're riding the ship, they're tightening the belt, and they are ramping up. Uh, it's glad to hear about the progress, although they're certainly still not really super close to knocking on the door of 5,000 cars per week just yet. Elon has told us time and time and time again that the ramp can be exponential, though, so that it can potentially go quickly. So, I mean, it feels like 5,000 cars per week is a long way away yet. But then again, a lot can happen in the next two, two and a half months, which is when Elon says they hope to hit that 5,000 cars per week. All right, the next clip here is Elon talking about uh, the hours, the, the sort of logistics, logistical efficiency of the factory. Well, I, first of all, I think a 582 ship operation is a ridiculous um, way to operate because that would be a very poor use of CapEx. Um, nor, nor is it the way that we have operated in um, for most of Tesla. So the, the, the uh, module production, uh, cell module and battery pack production um, and powertrain production have always op- operated on uh, uh, um, a 24/7 basis, um, and uh, the the exception has been uh, General Assembly, um, which is operated on typically two to three shifts. Um, you know, sort of a, a five to six day, 20 hour shift, um, and Paint, which is operated on kind of a six day basis. Um, so. It, uh, I think it just makes sense to operate the whole company on the same basis, um, but a majority of Tesla's always operated. A majority of Tesla production has operated on a 24/7 basis since we started production. 
yeah, I mean, it's this JB, I could chime in. Yeah. As Elon said, it, it, it really makes great use of the capex and the lines, and that's why yeah. we did it starting way back with the beginning of S. But aligning everything to the same shift schedule makes it so much more efficient because we don't have the seesaw of inventory, interline yeah. inventory between the different uh, different shops. So that's exactly. One of the key things to improving the capital efficiency of the system is reducing work in progress, work in process. Um, and if, if you don't have, if the shifts are, shifts are not aligned, then you have to build up uh, inventory in, in kind of a storage warehouse, and then right. Yeah, it's, it's, so it's it's pretty foolish to, to actually operate on a five day two two shift uh, thing anyway. Um, yeah, but but, but uh, it, it's it's you know this, this is sort of the we're using the the, the chip fab approach to capital efficiency. Uh, so it's you know, called AWS. Not just, it's not out on web, web service, I'm not sure what it's called, but like there's something called Ultimate Work, whatever. Yeah. Ultimate Work Week, yeah. Um, I think we're pretty cool, like people work like three three long days and then four long days alternately, something like that. So multiple crews rather than just using overtime on weekends. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right, so it seems like just doing the math. It's, it's not like one person working 24 hours a day, seven days a week. <laughs> it, there's, there, there, you know, there are like four or five shifts. Again, this goes back to the belt tightening and getting the company's act together from a, uh, a capital efficiency perspective. You're going to hear Elon go on to say a lot more about the big picture of things uh, later on this call in another clip I will play for you. But first, uh, here is Elon speaking about uh, this is basically addressing the whole, hey, we, we went too much too fast on automation and undervalued humans. So here, here's him speaking a little more on that topic. The, 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 tech, the number you're referring to is, is actually general, the, the general Vehicles assembly per minute. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's general assembly number, not, not, uh, not other stuff. Um, but um, you, you, may, yeah. you may have also not taken into account, you know, uh, you know so-called OEE or the, the actual actual uptime of the line, which, which tends to make the tack time a little faster than, you know, the perfect okay. tack was. Yeah. So if like, they say that could take a minute, they don't mean it's like over a, a seven-day, 24-hour work week. Like, we could also just say, like, sure, we did, you know, our peak pack production today was 32, uh, 32 packs in an hour. So we're under a minute, uh, under two minutes a pack and rising from there. Yeah, and okay. as Elon alluded, you know, the, the numbers go up rapidly as we go to the sub-assemblies that are in higher unit quantity per car. Yeah. So 4x per module, and then, you know, we have, you know, smaller sub-assemblies still that are, you know, factors of 10 or 20, even higher than that. Yeah, however, that, that said, um, I do believe that the, the path to um, manufacturing efficiency is velocity, velocity and density. And that, that is absolutely what we'll be working on. Uh, rather, rather than just trying to, uh, you know, spend billions of dollars on duplicating a factory, if you can make like if two companies are competing and one, uh, one has to, to double its capex in order to double production, and the other one can with with minor, cap, minor capex, can just speed up the line by double, it's a game over. Right, but in the meantime, the lines can. I think what you're saying, some start, some stops to get to the five thousand per week. Yeah, you can't like you can't have like zero maintenance time and zero. You know, like you have to do equipment upgrades. You have to do uh, 
you know, ongoing maintenance. Um, so you, you can't just have it be operating at a peak rate 24-7. You heard co-founder and chief technology officer J.B. Straubel in on that as well. He, he actually will come up throughout this call as will the CFO Deepak. Uh, Doug Field, I think, sneaks, sneaks in for a quick minute as well at some point. But this to me is Elon saying that he still believes in automation and the alien dreadnought manufacturing process that he's talked about before, but that he wants to be smarter about it. And I think that's what the whole Flufferbot example was all about. And that goes back to the classic line from Jurassic Park. Yeah, yeah, but your scientists were so preeminent that they could, they didn't stop to think if they should. All right, we all know that the battery packs are the most cost-significant component of any electric vehicle, the Gigafactory in large part is designed not only to enable Tesla to produce electric cars at volume, but in turn also to get the cost of that battery pack down, the cost per kilowatt hour down. So here is Deepak and Elon speaking about that topic. Uh, that's something, I mean, every data, every data point rod that we look at internally suggests that we are best in class, but we don't. Which is not a class. Yes, we're the best. <laughs> Sorry. We're the best in our class of one. <laughs> no. Yeah. Some bit, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think directionally, Rod, you know, it's uh, I mean, it's helpful to understand the different uh, commodities and, and the trends that we're pursuing in the batteries. Um, you know, being on a path to reduce cobalt usage, for instance, has been something we've been working on for for literally several years now, and you know, this has been extremely helpful. Uh, in the overall cost per kilowatt hour, you know, uh, especially, you know, with recent commodity price movements. So I think, you know, we can't really be quantitative, but that directionally is, is a pretty good trend. Yeah, we think we can get the cobalt um, to, to almost nothing. Well, I think this is the Tesla executive team basically laughing off any competition in this specific category, meaning cost per kilowatt hour. And at this point in time, quite frankly, who can blame them? No one else is even close because no one else is even uh, close to producing the kinds of batteries at the volume that Tesla is doing. All right. Uh, does capital raising, does Tesla need more money? That's been a big argument of the short sellers, of some other financial analysts. Uh, Tesla is going to need money. They're burning through cash. So what about it, Elon Musk? Uh, thanks, uh, Elon. Uh, so you repeatedly said... Uh, I think in recent weeks that you do not need to issue equity capital at Tesla. And I think many investors on this call would say it's better to raise capital when you don't need to. So I guess the first question is, um, yeah, you may not need to, but do you want to? No. Don't I want specifically, to? I specifically don't want to. And here, I think, is where Elon starts to get annoyed and or lose patience uh, with, with this sort of line of questioning. And... Uh, Hold this thought because it's going to come back into play here very shortly. But first, Elon Musk asked whether or not they could take advantage of uh, SpaceX, leverage SpaceX with Tesla with regard to high-speed internet because SpaceX is uh, planning to launch a high-speed internet uh, inter satellite cluster up into orbit in the not-too-distant future. So here's Elon on that. I mean, it might be. There's lots of interesting things you could do. Cars got a lot of computing power and it's connected, uh, you know, to the cell networks and Wi-Fi and everything. Um, and we could still be connected to 
the Leo, a Leo uh, internet constellation. I haven't even thought about it, but probably there is. Note that he says probably at the end of that otherwise, yeah, pretty much a brush-off statement otherwise, but and maybe, maybe not a brush-off, but it's fair to say that it was a bit of a non-statement. So, I mean, could Tesla maybe stop paying AT&T at some point to connect all the cars to the internet and to the Tesla mothership and use SpaceX's internet satellites instead? It's, as Elon says, it's possible. I, I think, I mean, why not? If, if uh, SpaceX can, can get the logistics, get the infrastructure up there, might make a lot of sense to just go ahead and let Tesla use it if if uh, if the scale works. You know, if you can have all these, what will be at some point in the not too distant future, millions of cars connecting to it and pinging it at all times. All right, uh, Elon. Next, speaking about the bottlenecks at uh, of Model Three production, I should say, uh, and and he gets pretty specific about exactly where those bottlenecks are. So here we go. The Tesla production system at this point is is vast, so, um, and we literally have I, I, the two biggest factories on Earth, uh, between the Gigafactory and, and Fremont. Um, uh, Giga is still slightly smaller than Fremont. I think, well, maybe just, yeah, slightly smaller, but it'll soon be bigger than Fremont. Um, and Fremont's like the second biggest building of any kind by, by footprint. So it's just like this, it is a vast, the full answer to that question is a complex one. Um, the, I, I feel very confident about our ability to get to 5K, you know, very soon, sustained rate uh, at, at Giga, uh, getting to, essentially getting to, to 5,000 battery packs and, and uh, motors and drive, you know, uh, power in, in motors and chargers and that kind of thing, which is all done at, at, at Giga um, by the end of next month. Um, and, uh, you know, body production, no, no problem. Um, a, a general Assembly is probably our biggest risk. Um, uh, and um, I'm going to be focusing on, personally on that a lot in the next, uh, in this coming month. Um, and then um, the paint shop is maybe the second biggest risk after General Assembly. Uh, but these are all pretty; these are all quite manageable. Um, um, it's like it's not like huge brain surgery to get these things right. It's a lot of work. Um, like I said, it's a lot of just a lot of time and hard work. Um, but it's it's very doable and yeah, yeah. It's just, it's really quite straightforward. It's like not like a fundamental impediment here. In, in many cases, we've seen huge gains through software, software that's in the car, um, software that controls the automation and connects to our, our central systems. So in yeah. many cases, it's not even hardware upgrades that create substantial increases in velocity. Yeah, that, that, exactly. Doug makes a good point here. Um, and I think that is... <laughs> That the product, the production, a really great production system is primarily a software problem, um, and there's no one in the auto industry that is remotely as good as te Tesla as, at software as Tesla. We're, we're, I mean, Tesla is way better at software than any other car company. 
So if, if, if it is what I'm saying is true, that the biggest challenge in a production system is software, we are in a good position. And so here we learn where Elon's focus is going. Uh, we heard from the, the shareholder letter that the battery pack assembly bo- bottleneck, the module uh, at the Gigafactory, was resolved. So here now is where Elon is, is uh, choosing his next point of focus. Uh, it was He tweeted out again on uh, late in the week that he slept at the factory again. So uh, he is in Fremont. He is working uh, very hard along with the rest of the team. So uh, good to see him sort of move down the, the pipeline to the next, the next big bottleneck. All right. How about a little Model Y? Uh, it's come up uh, on the last uh, last one or two conference calls. Tesla seems, Elon specifically seems eager to start talking about it. So let's let him do it. Here's Elon Musk talking a little Model Y. It will only start to become significant in 2019. Okay, so um, all but, of the CapEx spend for this year is associated with Fremont Model 3 Gigafactory. No, no, I, I mean, please take me literally. I, I said... Uh, it will only start to become significant next year. It's not zero uh, right now, but it's not. It's not. A, it's not a big number. Um, but it's not, it's not a big number relative to our revenue. You know, and like, in the early days of uh, product development, anyway, there's not much capex. Capex comes much yeah. later as you've committed to equipment, and equipment starts to come in house. Yeah, although it is remarkable. Like, well, although the amount of money spent in the beginning is really quite low. Uh, the beginning of the development program, decisions made at the beginning of the development program have massive uh, implications for, for future CapEx. So it is better to spend a bit more time uh, making the right design decisions um, and, and really thinking through the producibility of a, a product uh, before racing ahead with CapEx decisions. Uh, there's no question we could have made the Model 3 much easier to produce than we have. Um, Model Y, I, I think Model Y is going to be a manufacturing revolution. But it will be, uh, I think, incredible from a manufacturing standpoint because we do not want to go through this pain again. There he was talking about spending for Model uh, Y. And Model Y came up a few times on this call, as you're going to hear. This was the first time. Yeah. And, Elon's already been talking up this car from a manufacturing perspective. And honestly, like, I think he should be careful to not hype it up anymore for, for investors or, or anyone else, quite frankly, because I feel like it's, especially at this point, still trying to get over the Model 3 hump, it's better to under-promise and over-deliver with Model Y, whether it's on the, the product itself or, or the manufacturing uh, efficiency of it and the, the actual process of building it because I mean this is the car this is the next most important project that Tesla is going to move on to after the Model 3 flattens out at a productive uh, place in in a productive place so I just feel like you know I I like that he's excited but maybe just just tamp it down a little bit for now until you know just to avoid expectations getting out of hand with it all right speaking of getting out of hand Here's where the call starts to get a little interesting. Um, I'm just going to play the clip. If you haven't heard this already, so you'll, you'll just get the fun part uh, pretty organically. If you already heard about this, you know what's coming. But uh, here's, here's the next one of the, one of the callers who was queued up, and they went, they went to him. 
Uh, and here is that exchange with Elon Musk. And so where specifically will you be in terms Excuse of uh, your capital next. requirement? Next. Next. Boring bonehead questions are not cool. Next. And here is where Elon Musk shocked everyone on the call. I, I, at least I presume so. I mean, I, I felt like you could you could sense everyone kind of going, what just happened? I mean, I, I can't imagine that these Wall Street analysts that are usually on these calls are used to being cut off and shut down like that. I, I'm not saying they're egotistical, like, oh, they're, you know, I can't, how dare you talk over me, nothing like that. I'm literally saying that in the course of their jobs, where they're on calls with CEOs of companies that they invest in, they probably don't get the talk-to-the-hand treatment, uh, especially publicly like this, very often, if ever. I mean, thing, Elon Musk apparently has a breaking point on CapEx and other other certain businessy questions that he's been asked a million times, and we just found it, but there, we're not. this story's not done this we, we fast forward just a, a little bit further in the call and this happens we're gonna go to youtube sorry these these questions are so dry they're killing me well looks like elon musk won't be getting any christmas cards from wall street investors anytime soon not sure he would have anyway i'm not sure he's the most beloved guy on wall street i'll tell you I may have an unpopular take on this, and I have to say, so I wrote all all my notes to this uh, when I went through, listened to all this. I did it on Wednesday night after the call, and uh, so so all my thoughts here were I, I was forming them after the call, uh, and Elon sent some follow up tweets to this on Friday, which I'll get to in a minute. But you know, my take here, and again, you may disagree with me, and that's okay. It's it's good to dis- it's we never want to agree with everyone all the time. It's good, you know, so if you if you have a different take on this, totally respect that, but I confess, I, I have to say here, you know, many Tesla fans I saw on Twitter afterwards, message boards, cheering them on, you know, yeah, you tell them, Elon. The more I thought about this, the more I thought it was kind of rude, honestly. I mean, while you may disagree with that analyst's positions or their approaches to their jobs, these analysts, these people, they they are trying to do just that. Their jobs, you know, it it's not like the questions being asked were inappropriate or offensive in any way. They were just, uh, as Elon put it, boring. Or maybe, you know, there they were questions that Elon didn't like for for one reason or another, which I'll again I'll get to in a second. I I just think I mean it. I just think it's as a human being, it's rude to cut someone off like that especially in that context. I, I don't think that person deserved it. And and I'll tell you, Wall Street did not respond kindly to that, as you might have expected. The stock took an immediate hit. Now, this was after hours, but it is the stock is still tracked after hours for a while there. It took a, an immediate hit, which did carry over to the next day. The stock fell by about $20 uh, in, uh, in into the next day. Maybe it would have anyway. You know, it's it's hard to know. We, we'll never know, in fact. But because giving a little ammo to that theory that that there was a little bit of a vindictive share hit that that took place, Tesla did beat Wall Street's expectations for Q1. 
which usually is good news for, for the stock, or at least for Teslas. Again, I'm not, I'm not an expert on stock, but I do keep an eye on Teslas, and I, and I have been watching it for a long time. And, and that is typically what happens. When, it, when they beat Wall Street expectations, the stock goes up. Not necessarily a ton, but usually it does go up. It doesn't usually take a $20 hit. So there is there's a little room to suggest that it was somewhat of a vindictive thing here in response to to uh, a you know to Elon Musk's behavior there. Now, again, Elon did take to Twitter to address this two days later. This was on Friday. And uh, he says this, the two questioners I ignored on the Q1 call are sell-side analysts who represent a short seller thesis, not investors. The reason the Bernstein question about CapEx, which was the, uh, the first one, the, re- uh, the reason the Bernstein question about CapEx was boneheaded was that it had already been answered in the headline of the Q1 newsletter he received beforehand, along with details in the body of the letter. The reason RBC question, that's the second one, about Model 3 demand is absurd is that Tesla has roughly half a million reservations despite no advertising and no cars and showrooms. Even after reaching 5,000 per week production, it would take two years just to satisfy existing demand, even if new sales drop to zero. So then, uh, of course, many people reply to this. Of course, he's got 20 million followers, more than that. So he's going to get feedback. And now the, the thing I have, I've said this before, the thing I love about Elon is for somebody with that big of a social media following, uh, a lot of those, a lot of people with with followings that large, they they use Twitter for one way communication. They just they they put their message out there and they never engage with anyone. Well, of course, Elon always engages with people. He's he's always replying to people, jumping in on conversations and and replying to replies of his his own comments. And that happened here. Someone jumped in with it with what I feel is a great point. They said. If you know their negative angle beforehand, just block them in the queue so you never have to hear such questions live, problem solved. And yes, that would have been the solution. Those calls are all, uh, they're not screened necessarily. I don't think the actual questions are screened, but the, the people are. When I've been on those calls before, uh, I've I've tried to you know they're they're never going to take a media person's call or let alone a, a fanboy podcaster's call, but you, you go in there and you just you press there's like it's like a web interface and you you like press a button to go into the queue say it's like a, it's a virtual raising your hand button that they have, and so and you have to put in your name and wh- you know, who you are and where you're from when you log into that call. So they at least know, like, okay, so this, this, these guys from these uh, short sellers, they did know who they were before they were called upon. So, um, and I'm not sure who actually makes the decision on which calls callers to take. If that's a PR guy uh, it, that's that's on the call, that that would be my guess, but I don't actually know for sure. Anyway, so that was one Twitter user's comment on that. And Elon replied to that person saying, true. And once they were on the call, I should have answered their questions live. It was foolish of me to ignore them. So he does seem to, he doesn't outright apologize, but he does seem to be acknowledging that he was wrong 
walking back his, uh, his, his behavior a little bit there. And I like to see that. I mean, again, you may feel he was not in the wrong and that there's no apology necessary. Uh, I do feel that it was rude, and, and Elon certainly acknowledges uh, there that, that maybe he should have handled that a little bit differently. But wild times on the Q1 conference call. And here's the thing. Uh, it, the call kept going. This was, that was the middle of the call. That was like almost exactly the middle of the call when all this happened. There's still a long way to go. There's still a lot of ground to cover. So now uh, the, the uh, YouTuber that Elon referenced earlier, the person representing retail investors, came on and actually got to, he got to ask a bunch of questions. Elon just kept going to him uh, because, you know, he was already in this point where he was annoyed. And so he, he liked this guy, he liked the questions. And the first comment here, uh, the first question that, that, that this gentleman asked that Elon talked about was an update on the Tesla network. Of course, Tesla's pr- uh, proposed and planned autonomous ride-sharing fleet. So here is an update on the Tesla network. So, I mean, that's thank thank you for an interesting question. Um, the, uh, the the long term goal, the long, where, where things are obviously evolving towards, is a, a shared electric autonomy model. Um, so, the in order for this to obviously for the whole sort of system to work, um, you know, you need all the pieces in place. Uh, you need to have. Um, Full autonomy, level four or five, whatever you want to call it, um, and uh, you know, obviously a lot of cars on the road, um, and then build the software infrastructure behind that to enable uh, shared autonomy. So uh, to, to enable people to share their cars and be able to offer their cars as a um, effectively kind of a robo Lyft or robo Uber, um, uh, you know, sort of like combination of like, I guess. Uh, Uber, Lyft, and Airbnb type of thing, um, where you can own your car and have 100% usage of, of autonomous electric car. Uh, you can uh, say it's available generally to, to anyone who wants to use it. When you're not using it, you can recall it at will. Uh, you can restrict usage to only friends and family or only users who are five-star. Um, like This is like the obvious thing that's going to happen. Um, but in order for that to be in place, we have to obviously solve full autonomy. Um, you know, I, I, we're making really good progress on that front. Um, I believe that the current production of uh, the current vehicles that we're currently producing um, are capable of full autonomy. Uh, with with the only thing that would really be like might be needed or. Maybe is probably needed is a is a computer upgrade to have more uh, processing power for the vision neural net, uh, but but that's a plug-in replacement a thing that can be done quite easily. Um, so I think we're really well positioned and are building the right the foundation for uh, a, a you know ha- having millions, uh, ultimately tens of millions of shared um, autonomous electric vehicles. You know, which you can, like I said, decide not to share if you don't want to. Um, and then it plays. And specifically on the timing, on mm-hmm. the timing though, do you have any details about or when we could even expect to learn more about the timing of of this service? Well, um, the, the the 
The hardest thing to predict about the timing is regulatory approval. Um, you know, there's, the thing that's uh, tricky with autonomous vehicles is that autonomy doesn't reduce the accident rate or fatality rate to zero. It, it improves it substantially. Uh, but the, the reality is that, um, um, you know, even though you know, we, think our, we think autonomy, uh, even, even the current autonomy uh, reduces the probability of, of a death by, by 50%, which, which is, would be incredible because it's like, uh, if applied you know, broadly, there's over a million, I think 1.2 million automotive deaths per year. Um, and how many do you read about? Basically, none of them. Um, however, and, 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 but if it's an autonomous situation, you, it's headline news. Um, and the media fails to mention that actually uh, they shouldn't really be writing the story. They should be writing a story about how autonomous cars are really safe, uh, but that's not the story that people want to click on. Um, so they write inflammatory headlines that are fundamentally misleading to the, to the readers. Um, that's really outrageous. So, um, yeah, and this would be true, like, even if electric cars were, or, or sorry, if autonomous cars were 10 times safer, so that instead of a million deaths, you had 100,000 deaths, there's, there's still going to be, you know, people who will, who will still sue and say, hey, uh, you're responsible for the death here. And it's like, well, the, the 90% of people who didn't die are not suing. You know, they're not, they're not, they're, they're still alive. They just don't know it. Um, so, so you, we've got to deal with that. And then obviously regulators respond to public pressure and, and the press. So if, if the press is hounding the, the regulators and, um, and the public is, is laboring on misapprehension that autonomy is less safe because of, of, of misleading press, then this is a, this is where I find the, the, the things to, the, the challenge of predicting it to be very difficult. Um, and um, yeah, it's uh, it's really incredibly irresponsible of, the pro, of, of 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 any journalist with integrity to write an article that would lead people to believe that Tesla autonomy is is less safe. Uh, because people might actually turn it off and then die. Um, so, anyway, I'm really upset by this. Uh, yeah, really interesting answer. But, Thank you. But, but, um, but I, I, I can say from a technical standpoint, I think, I think we'll probably be ready by the end of next year. As you heard, Elon, without prompting, chose to address the coverage of the fatal Model X autopilot crash here, and it seems like he's bracing all of us for a long regulatory battle to get level four full self-driving approved by legislators once the technology is actually physically ready. But he says he thinks level four might be ready in about 18 months. That's huge news. The other highly significant piece of news there is that Elon is now saying that apparently autopilot 2.0 is not good enough for full self-driving, and that an upgrade to at least 2.5, which is the one that's shipping in uh, Model 3s and all new Teslas, so all, all the, the recent S's and X's, that that's probably going to be required. At least that, that was how I interpreted that. I, I thought that was pretty clear. Now, remember that you should not have to pay for that if you've prepaid 
for the full self-driving package. And for everyone else, it's going to be interesting to see if the $4,000 post-delivery price to enable full self-driving stands, uh, and then if you, you know that would if that would include the hardware upgrade, or if Tesla might raise that price. Now, remember. The upgrade is, we've been told it's a very, very simple upgrade from an installation perspective for the labor. It's the, the, the board, the CPU, the, that, that uh, processing unit is right behind the passenger glove box. So I would think that most of that $4,000 post-delivery price is most likely pure profit. I can't imagine Tesla's cost on the CPU, the GPU, the, the, the processing power itself Maybe it's a $1,000 board, even at their cost. Maybe. So there may very well even be less than that. I mean, a, a high-end GPU for gaming is, you know, what, 600 bucks or something. So uh, if, if installation labor costs are pretty minimal on that, which that's how they've set it up so that it's easy for them to, to swap in and upgrade if they need to, that means that that money is almost all gravy for Tesla. So big news there. I wonder if that will will sway any uh, of you, including me, any of us upcoming Model 3 buyers into go ahead and going ahead and, and prepaying for the full self-driving at $3,000 before delivery rather than paying the $4,000 after delivery. It's more, more food for thought for all of us. Okay, uh, back to Model Y. Where's it going to be built? Let's talk about that. This is... Uh, this is in reference to that Reuters report that it would be starting, that they, they had quoted a couple of part supplier sources that were saying that the, the production was planned to start in Fremont in the fall of 2019. Here's Elon Musk responding to that. Uh, the Reuters report is based on nothing. Like, I don't know where that came from. Uh, we will not be starting production of Model Y at the end of next year. Uh, I would say it's probably you know closer to 24 months from now. So 2020 um, is is a more likely prospect for Model Y. Uh, you know, early 2020. Um, and the production location for Model Y has not been decided. Uh, we're really crowded here at Fremont. I don't know where we put the Model Y production. So. It's difficult to imagine that. I, 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 we just could not fit the Model Y production at Fremont. We are jammed to the gills here. Um, so, so one thing I know for sure is not here. Uh, it, it is crazy packed. And, and we're, we're, yeah. Um, so, yeah, so, so uh, we'll, okay. we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll try to we'll try to figure out what the optimal location is for, for Model Y production, but it's not here. Not, not here at Fremont. So this directly refutes the Reuters report, which makes sense because I had said in response to that story when I when I did it here on the show that I have no idea where they'd put the line. And apparently there is indeed no room. So could it be at the Gigafactory maybe? Stay tuned for more on that later in the call. For now though, here's Elon getting a little frisky again, a, a caller, or the same guy actually, I should say, the same uh, YouTube guy, uh, brings up some comments about the Tesla Semi from the CEO of Daimler's uh, semi-truck unit, and here's that exchange. Okay, um, and I'm not an expert in uh, battery pack technology, but it seems that a lot of people are speculating that the uh, specs for the semi-truck 
even I believe the CEO of Daimler said it breaks the laws of physics. So I'm wondering, huh. is this just a linear? He doesn't know much about physics. I know him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I'm happy to engage in a physics discussion with him. I actually oh. studied physics in college. <laughs> Well, Elon was in quite the saucy mood that day. I mean, here's the, his, his lack of media training greatly pleases and entertains me. I mean, most of the time. You know, again, I, I do think he was a little rude earlier, but in general, I think it's, I, you know, that's what I love about him. Most CEOs might think that if they were in Elon's position, like that thought would go through their head of like, oh man, no, that guy is, that, guy, that guy's totally wrong. He knows nothing about physics. But their PR people would have made them go through hours and hours of media training sessions to make sure that they never actually said that. Elon, of course, just says it, and I love it. Of course, you know, sometimes that results in not, not you know, something a little unpleasant like earlier, but, but as I've always said, that's, that is the thing with Elon. You, you, we love him, but he's, he's human. He's not perfect, but his passion and his candor usually serve him very well, and I thought that that particular exchange was pretty hilarious. Now, while we're on the subject of the semi-truck, Elon Musk wasn't done. Uh, he's got some high hopes for the semi-truck. Here's Elon on that. Like, even if we didn't improve, I mean, even if we didn't improve our battery technology at all, we could achieve a 500-mile range truck at all. We're going to do better than 500 miles. Yeah, this is JB. I think the key point is it, it doesn't require some some dramatic breakthrough. That, that so I, there's a fundamental misunderstanding, I think, of what the, the current technology in our existing products can actually do. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and maybe that's just the misunderstanding of you know, sort of the, the current status of, of the technology versus you know others in the industry. Um, that could be where some of that's coming from. If they're benchmarking sort of the best battery pack they can buy, you know, from a supplier. Yeah, and then mapping exactly. that to what the semi could do, it doesn't give you, it doesn't solve. Um, right. I, I think that that's maybe where some of it's coming from, but but we, uh, I mean, we, we basically have what we need in house and understand how to do those specs today or better, as Elon said. We could do a 500 mile range semi today. Um, I think the actual production unit will be above 600 mile range. You know, even a 550-mile range on the semi would be awesome if it happens to turn out that way because it would be exactly what I was talking about earlier with Model Y, which would be under-promising and over-delivering. 550, if they ended up getting to that, that would be 10% better than what they originally announced. If they actually get to 600, like Elon's talking about, that's 20% better than what they originally announced and what the reservation holders put their money down expecting. So that's pretty awesome. I mean, it doesn't surprise me at all that they can already do this with their, meaning the 500 miles with their existing battery tech, because remember a couple, I mean, it's been a couple years at this point, but a while back, Elon had said that they could build a 400 mile Model S right then and there at that time if they had actually wanted to. So no surprise at all that the semi is, uh, is looking great in the specs department. It's it's awesome to hear that. But what about supercharging? While we're uh, out on about on the road, you know, you get the semis are out on the road. What about when we're out on the road? We want to get our charge our cars charged as quickly as possible. So uh, the same the same caller that's still giving questions to Elon. Elon continues to engage with him. Uh, he asks about 
Porsche. And hey, what about Porsche's whole 350 kilowatt charging? What do you say to that, Elon Musk? Awesome. Great stuff. Um, so I'm also wondering, are you guys going to let Porsche beat you to market with a 350 kilowatt hour supercharger? Because I know you've mentioned, you know, E3. Questions are not boring. <laughs> yeah, I can keep going. So. Yeah, um, it's cool. Yeah, so the, 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 350 kilowatt, the, the 350 kilowatt charger from Porsche, like it, they mentioned they're rolling that out. On the last call, JD seemed to indicate that you guys were sort of at going to keep the status quo with your supercharger technology. But um, Elon, I know you've mentioned that there is a V3 supercharger. So I'm just trying to get some clarity on whether you will be improving your supercharger technology or not, and if there is a V3. Oh, we're definitely going to be improving our supercharger technology. Uh, the thing about a 350 kilowatt charger is it doesn't actually make a ton of sense. Um, unless you've got a monster battery pack uh, or have a, like a crazy high C rate, in which case your energy density is going to be poor. Um, so it's kind of cockamamie. Um, yeah, we think maybe 200, on a per car, also I don't know if they meant 350 kilowatts for a single car. That's, that's, it's, that's, that's really pretty, you, you're going you're gonna to frag the battery pack if you do that. Um, if there's no high, you cannot ha charge a high energy battery pack uh, at, at that rate, um, unless it's a you know, very high kilowatt hour battery pack. So, so something along the, you know, I think, uh, you know, I don't know, maybe like a couple hundred, 200, 250, maybe. Yeah, I mean, that, that that's uh, that's definitely sort of power level that we've, we've discussed and explored. And some of it also comes down to an optimization around, you know, utility versus cost and trade-offs in the car itself. Um, you kind of hinted at that, Elon, but you, you know there is a trade-off fundamentally between charge speed and, uh, and essentially range or cost of battery. Yeah. And you know we look at that pretty carefully. You know we, we you know we understand the trade-off, and we could design cells in a pack that could charge it, you know, faster than you know 300, 400 kilowatts. But it, it's not a very useful trade-off to the customer. That, yeah. That's the, yeah. And, Most people don't understand the difference between energy and power, even. Really, yeah. Energy, you know, obviously energy is essentially must range, and then power is kind of like your peak acceleration, basically. Uh, you know, the rate at which you consume energy. So, uh, really, what what's it's more important to have um, it's more important to have long range than it is to have a, a super fast charge time. Um, and you can sort of think about this in the devices that you use. Like, would you rather have a cell phone that lasted two hours but had it could charge it could charge in five in, in five minutes or ten minutes, let's say, but it only lasted two hours? Or you'd like a, a cell phone that lasts two days, and maybe it takes an hour to charge. A really interesting explanation, and I thought a great analogy about the cell phone. There, it still begs the question, though of when we might see that 200 or 250 kilowatt supercharging that, that Elon and JB mentioned there actually start to roll out. They didn't say anything about timing. So we'll see. It's, it's probably not their highest priority right now. I mean, it's, they've been very upfront that Model 3 production is, is like priorities 1 through 10, and then everything else is 11 onwards. Uh, and by the way, I do just want to go ahead and give credit. The, the name of the, the you know, quote-unquote YouTuber that, that Elon had, has been, had mentioned there and has been engaged with him on these questions, 
the not boring guy, as Elon, as Elon noted, his name's Galileo Russell. So uh, I think he did a pretty good job. I mean, he, he came prepared with, with questions uh, that were evidently, he said they, were, they had been crowdsourced from other retail investors. And, uh, and he, he spoke well. He wasn't intimidated. He wasn't nervous. I, I thought he did a very good job. So Galileo, shout out to you. All right. We are not done. Galileo's not done. What about sharing the supercharging network with other automakers? It's been something that's been mentioned multiple times in the past. Uh, we haven't heard anything about it in, the wi- in a while. So, uh, Elon, what do you say? Um, we've always said that we're, this is not intended to be a walled garden, and we're happy to support other, uh, other automakers and let them use our supercharger stations. They would just need to pay, uh, you know, the you know, share of the costs proportionate to their vehicle usage, um, and they would need to be able to accept our, you know, our charge rate or at least and our connector, or at least have an adapter to our connector. Um, so this is something we're very open to, um, but so far none of the other car makers have wanted to do this. But but it was, it's like not because of opposition from us. This is not a walled garden, you know, trying to make a moat bullshit. Well, it makes sense that no one else has approached Tesla on this, I think, for two reasons. One, because almost no one else is making and taking long-range electric vehicles seriously. And two, quite frankly, hubris. Call it pride. Call it whatever you want. Tesla is the upstart kid on the block to whom not one of the existing legacy automakers wants to admit defeat to in even the, even the smallest of ways. To them, it would no doubt look bad if they signed on to use the superchargers at all in any capacity because it might make them look weak to their shareholders or to their consumers or what have you. It might, they might worry that it would be free promotion for Tesla. Uh, but uh, you know who it would be great for? Consumers of those other vehicles. That would be great for them and thus for the, the electrification movement overall. So... We'll see. We'll see if anything happens on that. But Tesla just—it's uh, good to hear that they're—they continue to be open to that. Somebody, but other companies need to pick up the phone. All right. Uh, doubling back to the Tesla Semi for a moment, Elon is asked about reservations. How many reservations does the Semi have? And if you listen closely here, J.B. Straubel says it, uh, and then it's—it's kind of—they—they don't really acknowledge it again. But I think we get the number. Take a listen to this. I actually don't know how many reservations we have for the semi. I, I don't about think 2000. about two thousand. Okay. I mean, we we haven't really tried to sell the semi. Um, it's not like there's like an ongoing sales effort. So, um, you know, sales orders are for the semi are like opportunistic. Um, really, companies approaching us. Um, you know, it's just not something we really think about much. Um, our focus is on the Model Three. We need to get that to. Uh, above 5,000 a week um, at uh, a good margin. We need to become a profitable company. Uh, that is uh, a, 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 a good criticism that has been leveled at Tesla. An accurate one is high time we became profitable. Um, and, um, you know, and the, and the truth is, like, you're not a real company until you, until you are, uh, frankly. So that, that's our focus right now. Um, and the, then, the, you know, the, we've got a, an awesome product roadmap. The Tesla Semi is one of those things. Um, 
and uh, you know I think we've got a really good idea for the the, the model Y is going to be amazing. I'm really excited about that. Um, Tesla pickup is going to be great. Um, you know, so uh, the product roadmap. I mean, we have like way more cool things than we know what to do. Like the idea is, idea generation far exceeds the ability to, to execute it. So we just need to stay focused and not uh, divide our attention uh, on too many products at one time. Again, I feel like Elon should just check his excitement for Model Y a little bit for his sake. I love that he's excited and he's not afraid to talk about it, but he knows that those comments are going to be headlines when the focus needs to stay publicly stay on Model 3. As for the semi, um, again, unless I'm crazy, you can pretty clearly hear JB say, kind of in the background there, that they have about 2,000 reservations so far for the Tesla Semi, which means the few hundred that we've heard about publicly pale in comparison to the ones that we haven't heard about. So 2,000 semis at an average selling price of about 170,000, again, sort of splitting the difference between the base model and the, the 500 mile or maybe 600 mile, 600 mile range uh, edition. That's about $340 million worth of total orders, which is absolutely fantastic. That's awesome. All right, three more clips for you here. We are, if you're getting tired, <laughs> we are getting towards the end. I'll tell you, there was, there's always a lot of ground to cover on these quarterly earnings calls, this one especially. So uh, here's Elon again talking about uh, a little Model Y, but also the Tesla factory in China. Remember we did the, the big story about China kind of clearing the way, the Chinese government clearing the way for Tesla to build their own factory, wholly owned Tesla factory in China. So here's Elon on that. So that that's probably later this year. It has to be later this year. Um, so I'm not sure of the exact time, but I don't know, maybe, maybe next quarter, um, but not later than fourth quarter um, for Model Y. And... Um, and then we also expect to announce the location of uh, a Tesla Gigafactory in China soon. And will that second factory, uh, when you announce it, will it be in, in North America, or is that going to be in China? Well, I just said it's in China. So the Gigafactory is there, but, but the second manufacturing plant will be oh, in China as well? Sorry. Oh, I mean, yeah. yeah. So, uh, all, all, sorry. Um, in, in the future... Uh, all, all gigafactories will include vehicle production. So, so right now we've got vehicle production and battery production. Like battery production and motor and power electronics and charger production are at Giga and we've got our Fremont car factory. But future gigafactories will all incorporate vehicle production. I'm excited by the fact that you know, like the, 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 we're appreciative, very appreciative of the fact that the government of China has... Um, announced that they will be allowing uh, full ownership of manufacturing facilities in China, which lets express a word of appreciation to the Chinese government in that regard. So at the beginning of that there, he was talking about about making the decision about where to produce Model Y will happen uh, later this year, probably in Q3. So um, this here, this is what leads me to believe that Model Y may in fact be built at the Gigafactory, along with as a, as a Ride the Lightning hotline caller had suggested a week or two back, I think it makes a lot of sense that the Tesla Semi 
might be built at the Gigafactory as well. I mean, it, it would seem to make a lot of sense given what Elon just said right there in that clip. And and we do we already know that the China Gigafactory is probably in Shanghai. That has already been uh, been serious whispers about that. So I guess we'll find out for sure in about six months or so on that one. All right, our penultimate call. I, I love that word. I like using it whenever I can. I always love penultimate, second to last. It's just a it's a very it's a very fun word. Anyway, uh, this is Elon speaking about the consumer usage and consumer confidence in autopilot in the wake of the recent fatal Model X accident. So uh, here he is speaking to that. We do see a steady increase in the number of the percentage of miles driven uh, with using autopilot. Uh, so as we as we roll out more functionality, as we make it better, uh, we see we see a steady increase. Um, you know, I think it's something for, for cars equipped with autopilot, something on the order of uh, a third of highway miles, maybe closer, maybe a half in some cases are, in some regions, are on autopilot. Uh, but then, of course, when there's, like, negative news in the press, then that dips. Um, and then I was like, okay, this is not good because people are reading things in the press that get, cause them to use autopilot less. And then that makes it dangerous for our customers, and that's that's not cool. Um, that's why I get upset. Um, and uh, and then we get accused of blaming the victim. I was like, look, we're not blaming the victim here, but uh, we it is important that people not be under the wrong impression. Um, mm-hmm. the, the, the statistics are unequivocal that mm-hmm. autopilots improve safety, no question. Uh, in fact, I, one thing I was going to mention, I forgot to also forgot to mention, is that we'll be uh, publishing. Uh, our uh, safety statistics on a quarterly basis. Uh, Wonderful. So that people know exactly uh, what uh, autopilot safety is. Is it getting better? Or is it getting worse? Um, and it's like uh, one of the common um, misimpressions is that w- when there is, say, uh, a serious accident uh, on autopilot, people mm-hmm. for some reason think that, uh, or some of the articles think that it's because the driver thought the car was fully autonomous and it, and it wasn't, and we somehow misled them into thinking it was fully autonomous. It is the opposite case. When when there is a serious accident, it's, it is almost always, in fact, maybe always, the case that it is an experienced user. Um, and 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 the issue is what more one of complacency, like they just get they get too used to it. Um, that, that tends to be more of an issue. It's, it's, not, it's not a lack of understanding of, the, of what autopilot can do. It's actually mm-hmm. uh, th- thinking they know more about autopilot than they do. Like quite, quite a significant understanding of it. I think this is a good reminder for all of us. If you're listening to this, you are a Tesla super fan like me. And that means when you get your car, you are going to know a lot about autopilot and how it works uh, and that means that you may, you're, you're predisposed, as I am, to falling into that uh, experienced sort of expert user category that Elon talked about, where the, the people, the very people that are most prone, most uh, susceptible to that complacency that he mentioned that can be dangerous. So uh, just re- we all have to remember that the system isn't perfect. And 
we, we can't get complacent with it. Uh, it's just, it's an important safety reminder for all of us. So um, I thought that was, a, that was an interesting clip to play. Now, how are we going to go out? How are we ending this? Well, here's Elon giving one last uh, heave-ho, verbally speaking, to, to short sellers. Uh, he, the caller here clearly, uh, he, he was extremely respectful. He's you know, very professional. Here's Elon talking day traders. You know, Tesla's such a leaky server of information uh, that I think it's the news will leak pretty pretty quickly. Um, and also, people track uh, registrations very closely. Um, so, at most, any information that we provide would be a week or two in advance of what uh, will will become public knowledge, just due to, due to vehicle registra- registrations um, and shipments that are tracked very carefully. Um, so, it, it, the, really, the, pro- the problem is like people get too focused on like what's happening in the space of a few weeks or a few months. This is, uh, you know, it's an old maxim of investing. You should not be focused on short-term things. You should be focused on long-term things. We have no interest in satisfying uh, the desires of day traders. Like, I couldn't care less. Please sell our stock and don't buy it. I, under, I, I completely understand your frustrations, for, and, and, I, and I, I'm frustrated too on, on how myopic we are right now. Uh, they also say that you know great years are made out of quarters, and great decades are made out of years. So uh, everyone's short-term focused in some ways, and, and volatility has a, a, a way of shaking people out, uh, even that are strong and want to be there. And so, okay. uh, and anything you can do to help in the near term on that, I think is helpful for the stuff. That's it. I, I mean, I, I think that if people are concerned about volatility, they should definitely not buy our stock. I am not here to convince you to buy our stock. Um, do not buy it if volatility is scary. There you go. So Elon trying to ward off the shorts here, and, and he's not wrong. Tesla stock is volatile. Most shorts have been burned badly by Tesla over the years. I mean, it, it's not my expertise. Absolutely not. But... If you're out there looking to make a quick book, a uh, quick buck, pardon me, I would I would think that Elon Musk, being so unlike any other company leader, is probably the wrong guy to try and make that quick buck off of. He because he's unpredictable. I I would think that any other company run by a more predictable CEO might literally be a better bet for a uh, for a short. And in fact, Elon. Uh, in the on that Friday where he was tweeting that sort of uh, again not not an apology but a uh, you know just walking back his his behavior, his actions a little bit on that call he did though add he went out like this saying quote oh and a short burn of the century coming soon flamethrowers should arrive just in time so he clearly you know he 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 doesn't like the fact that Tesla is the most shorted stock out there because it means, you know, there's all these, there's all these sort of traditional financiers that are, that are, they're in effect rooting for Tesla to do badly, rooting for them to fail, uh, which, you know, I personally don't understand. I know it's, it's a way of life. It's like a business thing. You probably have to be pretty, you know, just, you have to take emotion out of it and you're just looking at numbers and trying to figure out, okay, who's not going to make money. Who's not going to do well. I can bet against that. But, 
boy, I just, the, the, the mission of Tesla, I could never be a short seller because I don't think I could, <laughs> I don't think I could ever take my emotion out of it. I mean, when I look at Tesla, it's like, why would I bet against, even if I didn't like the cars, let's say I thought, eh, you know what, they're ugly cars, uh, I don't want to have to stop to charge on a road trip, I, I'm just going to keep buying gas cars, but I just couldn't bet against that mission of, of trying to get, bring electric vehicles into the mainstream and make them better and make them a viable and, or in fact, superior alternative to gasoline powered cars. I just couldn't do it. I couldn't bring myself to bet against that just on a, on a sort of emotional level. But anyway, uh, there it is. That's the Q1 conference call, AKA Mr. Musk's wild ride. <laughs> it was a, it was a crazy one this time. And and before I let you go this week, I know this has already been an extremely long show as I thought it would be at the top. There is one more piece of news that I wanted to pass along rather than wait till next week. And it is this, it comes by way of Electric, who obtained a copy of the document that I'm about to tell you about. Tesla has settled a class action lawsuit that was filed by a group of Tesla owners who have early Autopilot 2 cars, and those customers felt that Tesla was not holding up their end of the bargain with regard to the release of enhanced Autopilot features. So those people, who I'll tell you about, uh, the I'll give you the window in just a second here, they're going to be partially reimbursed for their $5,000 enhanced Autopilot purchase if the settlement is approved by a court, and I would, I would expect that it will be at this point. Uh, so again, Electrek obtaining a copy of that settlement agreement, they say that Tesla, the quote, Tesla will pay between $20 and $280 to all, all U.S. Tesla owners who bought or leased cars with enhanced autopilot between October of 2016, which is uh, when Autopilot 2 rolled out, and September of 2017. So that indeed covers that early stretch, that first year of Autopilot 2. And remember that, that, that early stretch in particular was when Autopilot basically didn't work for a pretty good chunk of that time. It, it, well, AP1 still did on the 2014 and 2015 cars, but the Autopilot 2, you know, where Tesla had to start from scratch because of the messy divorce with Mobileye, there was no autopilot functionality uh, for a while, and when it did finally come back online, it was very gradually brought up to par. And they're still, you know, very much working on it, as we all know. They've they've come a long, long way since. But, uh, you know, what's what's interesting here to me, ultimately, we're not talking about a lot of money. Between twenty dollars and two hundred eighty dollars is, uh, you know, at most, that's just over five percent. Of, of the purchase price of Enhanced Autopilot. But still, it's interesting to me that Ches Tesla chose not to fight this because the settlement really says to me, in my opinion, it's something of an admission of, yes, we haven't delivered on what we said we would. And, and obviously they haven't. There are no Enhanced Autopilot features to date. We're pretty much at the point now where we're still, we're just on par with Autopilot 1, in some ways, maybe a little better uh, from, from everything I read, but it's still, you know, the, the actual enhanced Autopilot stuff, which is more or less kind of level 3 Autopilot stuff, we, uh, level 3 self-driving, rather. We haven't seen any of that as of yet, but 
Um, Tesla, they, they did cover all their bases from a legal perspective with the verbiage on their website uh, when you order the car. Of course, if, if you've ordered a Tesla, you know this. But I, I do look at this as something of an apology on Tesla's part. And, and you know, it, it also lays the groundwork for frustrated owners to potentially do something like this again. You know, if, if there's no movement on full self-driving for, for, the, you know, in, for a while, and, and you've got a lot of folks that, that have paid the $3,000 upfront cost for that, I, I wonder if you know, people might look at this if, full, if there's no movement on full self-driving for a while and go, hey, maybe we should try this class action thing again. It got us something last time. So stay tuned for that. We'll see what happens. Oh, my goodness. That was quite a, uh, <laughs> a segment there, quite, a, quite a, a, a meat of the show this week. So hang with me. going to take a quick little musical interlude of about five seconds, and I will be right back with you with some parting thoughts and to wrap up the show right after this. Big show this week. Hope you enjoyed that. Uh, I do have a lot of fun putting those together. I mean, it's it's the most work. It's it's a lot more work than the regular weekly show is, but I I always like having uh, having those out in the wild because again, it's probably the closest I'm ever going to come to having Elon Musk on this podcast. <laughs> it's just clips of his voice to make it kind of sound like he's on here. But I mean, hey, you never know. But um, yeah, lots a lot goes into these episodes. Hope you enjoy them. Uh, if you want to support the podcast, you know, I put these out every Sunday. Uh, if, you, if you were interested in, in uh, supporting it beyond simply listening, which, again, I very much appreciate. That's, that's all you have to do. But there is an optional layer of support if you, if you did want to consider it, and that is Patreon. I do have a Patreon page for this podcast. You can find it at patreon.com slash Podcast. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. That's how you spell Patreon. And uh, there's information there. There's, uh, there's a little video of me and all the different little, little tiers and things you can, you can get for supporting the podcast. So it's totally optional, of course. It always is. But if you, if you do appreciate uh, what, you, what I do here each and every week and you wanted to express that in a monetary form, <laughs> Patreon is the way to do that. And in fact, let me say a special thank you to the group of Patreon producers. Uh, these are the folks who who pledge at the $20 level or higher each and every month. And for that, they get the shout out along with a few other things uh, each and every on each and every show. And so those shout outs go to Jeff Bartram, Paul Hussey, DJ Harbaugh, Pete White, Wolfgang Obergen, George Cassiopo, David Brander, Jonathan Wales, Alexi Heft, Lisa Kaz, Michael Oprey, Logan Willis, Matthew Para, Michael Lester, Robert Maracle, Jason Chalukas, Emotion Rentals, Richard Ouellette, Sean Fournier, Tim Hyde, Marcus Mayenshine, Lee Sweet, Lars Hoffman, Orion Coates, Peter Chalet, Harold Plug, Kenneth Martin, Michael Callahan, Rome Strack, David Vakil, Ulrich Lassa, Luke A., David Kittle, Eric Randolph, and David Nondahl. Thank you all so, so much for your incredible support with the podcast each and every month. Uh, I do want to mention 
Uh, our friends at abstractocean.com, I always mention the coupon code every week, but they've got some new stuff that you might want to take a look at. They just dropped me a line to let me know. They've got, they're just getting in. If you, if you log in and you don't see them, just check back in the next week or so. This should all be popping up. Tempered glass screen protectors for the Model 3. Complete, I'm told, complete with the, the, the screens are, are made uh, to fit, and including the, the subtle curve. There's a very, apparently a very subtle curve in the bottom of the, of the glass, the bottom of the screen on the Model 3. So they've really uh, gone the, the, uh, the extra mile on these. Check those out. As well as, uh, coming soon, center console wraps. The piano black finish in the uh, Model 3 is super prone to fingerprints. It, like, you look at it and fingerprints show up. And, uh, and also scratches as well. It's that, you know, that piano, that glossy piano black uh, plastic material. I'm going to wrap mine. I am going to do one of these. I'm just trying to figure out which one uh, they're going to have. Looks like they're going to have a couple different ones at Abstract Ocean. Um, I, I'm thinking I might just go with a satin, like a matte satin piece of, uh, uh, you know, Expel or SunTech, you know, just the, the paint protection film, that same stuff that goes on the outside. Because, I, I don't know, I personally, I like the, I think I want to keep just the black look, but just take the, the gloss, take the fingerprint and scratchy factor out of it. But they're doing, I think they've got, um, they're doing a, a carbon fiber one, which they sent me pictures, uh, the Abstract Ocean folks, and it, it looks like like a real carbon fiber. Like it, it, it's, a, it's a very detailed, like it's not just some cheap looking decal. So you can take a look at that. Uh, as well as if you heard me talking about, remember Franz von Holzhausen's car, he took off the the Tesla T logo on on the on the trunk lid, you know, the, or the the top of the rear of the model of his Model Three, and put on the the Roadster style Tesla letters, the T E S L A. Well, they're selling those now at Abstract Ocean as well. So anyway, this is a way too long of a plug. AbstractOcean.com. You can find all that new stuff in the coming week or so. The coupon code for first time buyers at Abstract Ocean is RTL Podcast. So use that coupon code at checkout. Meanwhile, Immaculate Reflections is standing by and waiting to protect, to detail, to serve your Model 3, to get it and keep it looking as beautiful as possible. Whether you want to do new car delivery prep, paint correction, paint protection film, Secord's uh, finest reserve, ceramic coating, whatever you want to do, any of that, all of it, uh, look them up, talk to them. You can uh, figure out what's best for you. IRDetailing.com is the website. And remember, 10% off uh, anything for, uh, for my customer, my listeners and their customers, <laughs> for my listeners with the coupon code RTL10. And if you're a military member or a veteran, uh, you can just show your military ID or your veteran ID for another 10% and those stack. So that's pretty cool. If you're buying a Model S or Model X, get yourself the free unlimited lifetime supercharging. It is the only way to get it. That's via referral. So use my cousin Pat in Arizona. Use his referral code. It's Patrick5008. Give that to your sales advisor or type in ts.la slash Patrick5008 into your web browser to get that baked in when you order your car. Uh, follow me on Twitter at DMC underscore Ryan. 
You can always email me, teslapodcast at gmail.com. Please do subscribe to the podcast if you don't already. That way it downloads to you automatically each week. You can subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, which of course is in the Tesla, Spotify, or uh, the, tes- the podcast hosting site where you can grab individual episodes as well as the RSS feed. You can find that at teslapodcast.libsyn.com. Libsyn spelled L-I-B-S-Y-N. That will wrap it up for an absurdly long episode. Again, I want to be respectful of your time, so I will not ramble here at the end of the show. Uh, thank you all so, so much, If you, especially if you made it this far this week. It was a long episode, but there was obviously a lot to go over. Hope you enjoyed it. Hope you got something out of it. And I, of course, will see you back here next week. Happy electric motoring.